Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined today by Adrian Martini. Hello, Adrian. Hello. Hello. How are you? I am doing well. I'm doing well. Um, let's dive into. We got a lot to talk about, so let's dive into. We do. Let's dive into knitting. You have some. You have success in a project. I do. <laughs> I'm so excited. Um, my daughter. Uh-huh. who's 14, uh-huh. she decided she's only wearing um, black, white, and gray, mm-hmm. maybe with a little bit of red just for funsies. <laughs> um, I apparently now have a goth child. I don't know how that happened, but here okay. we are. Okay. Um, and she wanted me to knit a sweater for her, which was shocking. Uh-huh. Because usually when I would knit her things, she would immediately try it on, pose for a picture, and then never wear it ever again. Oh, um, knife to the heart. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. All those yeah. hours. So mm-hmm. I just stopped. Yes. So I just stopped knitting her stuff because it just didn't seem worth. All yeah. Because you don't need to keep uh, banging your head against that wall. Exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I tend to want to pick my walls. You know, pick the hill you're going to die on is my uh, my parenting philosophy. Um, so she wanted me to knit a sweater for her. And I started it in gray, of course. Uh-huh, um, sure. I started it. Um, last, I want to say November, maybe. Okay. Um, using this really great hand-dyed yarn from a friend that mm. I absolutely love, mm. both the friend and the yarn. So, and when um, you say hand-dyed and, yarn, I have to ask, does that mean that that person made the yarn or just dyed, she dyed it? Um, she just dyed it. Okay. Cause However, you know, you, you, I have some other friends. Yes. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, because, you know, you live in kind of a rural part of the... I do. So it wouldn't surprise me if some of your friends had sheep that they used for oh, wool. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh, cause, oh, you yes. Because that's what us urban, <laughs> that's what us city slickers think, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, if I wanted to go that route, uh, it would not be that much of a challenge to source it. Um, <laughs> Good. Good. Okay. I also currently have a box of sheep fleece in my yarn closet. So uh-huh. if I should ever want to go crazy and spin and die and do my own thing with yarn i am perfectly prepared uh, um wait one second can you please tweet um uh, a picture of your yarn closet uppercase y <laughs> uppercase c <laughs> um i i will um it's a mess i'll tell you that right now it needs a reorganizing but um i can even annotate it for you if oh, you'd like very nice very uh, nice okay very good <laughs> so so yeah, so I finished all of the parts and just had to kind of pick, sew it all together, which is not a big deal, pick up the stitches for the neckline, mm-hmm. which I proceeded to do exactly backwards. <laughs> um, so it left this kind of ridge where the neck was. Uh-huh. And I did what most knitters do, which is look at it and go, gosh, I hate the way this looks, but I'm just going to keep knitting anyway. Uh-huh. It'll get better. <laughs> yeah, it never got better. So I finished the neckline. Um, ripped it all back out again, um, and then re-knit it the right way. Oh, and, and well, no, it was fine. I mean, I like knitting, uh-huh, you know. Sure. Uh, and if you're going to do it, and since it's on somebody else and it's on my kid, I'm going to probably see it more right, than once. And right, each time that's I true. see it, I'm going to go, oh, <laughs> why didn't I just rip it out? Um, so, yeah, so I'm pretty excited that I finally got that project done. And nice. now I am scanning around trying to figure out what to do next. What's next? It's always the what's next for the craft projects. That's Yeah, yeah. So she so she likes it and wears it? Uh, she has worn it. Of course, I finished this very nice heavy wool sweater just in time sure. for the weather to turn. Sure, of course, so, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, so, but I think she's pretty much done growing at this point, oh, so it'll uh-huh. be good. Um, A lifetime you know, sweater. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
Nice. Yeah. Nice. I actually kind of like buying clothes now because I'm like, this is going to, this is going to last because <laughs> you're probably not going to outgrow it at this point. <sighs> nice. Well, another project that you were busy on was helping secure Peter <laughs> Sagal joining the podcast for Father's Day. So yes. thank you for doing that. Um, yeah. Um, so, so, so your uh, friend of a friend, you know, him being a friend of a friend, plus the hashtag AMR Father's Day yes. campaign and I on also, Twitter. Uh, uh-huh. wrote him uh, a note saying, hey, you know, you met me. I'm not an axe murderer. Uh, most of the other mother, mother runners, as far as I know, also not axe murderers. Um, why don't you join us? Yeah, nice. Yeah, so thank you. Thank you very much for doing that. Yeah, so that's going to be on Father's Day. So I know there's been some people still asking on Twitter, and I think sort of still hounding him a little on Twitter. So. Yes, please stop hounding him. <laughs> so we can back off now. We have succeeded. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So um, so maybe just start uh, tweeting what questions you'd like us to ask. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. So. And I, yes. I saw that you... Uh-huh. You were posing in front of the Hamilton poster in uh, San Francisco. I was, I was, because finally the long-awaited seeing of Hamilton, and I I was very pleased. So many people asked on Twitter, they're like, please, can you just talk all about it on the podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Were you in the room where it happened? I was in the room where it happened, so... Um, so, you know, I'd had the, we'd had these tickets for more than a year. We had been, you know, I would say my height of Hamilton mania was probably the fall of 2015, kind of September, October, November. Mm -hmm. And so, and then like, I'd been really busy with life. Um, the best friend was out here. I traveled to Denver on business and just suddenly I was like, whoa, the trip's here. And like, I need to, you know, suddenly do an intensive listen and and remind myself. And so, I mean, just leading up to it, I just couldn't believe that it was finally going to happen. So, um, so we went in and, um, like the moment, the moment uh, actors came out on stage, you could just feel this electric energy just go through yeah. the entire yeah. house. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, because remind me, you have seen it or you have not yet seen it? I have not seen it. Okay. Um, mostly because it was only in New York and trying to get tickets in New York. Oh, yeah. Because you're not a multimillionaire. Sure, sure. Uh- no, no. <laughs> Although we did, we do have uh, an alum, one of the uh, college students my husband taught. Uh, was in the original Broadway cast for a oh, long time. Oh, wow. Oh, right. So, I think yeah. you told me that before. That's very exciting. Yeah. So, and I have yeah. to say that um, on that uh, side note that the cast is not very big, that there's no. about 20, no. 20 people. You know, certainly I had known that uh, the actor who plays Lafayette plays Thomas Jefferson right. in the second act. Um, Hercules Mulligan plays John Adams. Um, but I mean, I was surprised by kind of how small the set is and mm-hmm. how few um, extra dancers there are and things. Oh, yeah. 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 And um, so, I mean, the you know, certainly the concern was, okay, so there's no one from the original cast, from the Broadway cast. This is the traveling um, company. Right. And, oh, my gosh, they just oh, yeah. are fantastic singers. Fantastic. Yeah. And so... Um, you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda, who the genius who wrote the entire thing, um, you know, admits that he's not the world's greatest singer. He's certainly a fantastic rapper, but not mm-hmm. not a, or, or, you know, kind of spoken word um, 
actor, one might say. Uh, but he's not the world's greatest singer. So the Hamilton in the tw- in the production I saw was an amazing singer. So that really brought a different depth and quality yeah. to it. I had a really good friend go see it on Broadway, and it was one of the nights where Lin Manuel Miranda was off. Oh my gosh! I think he always took like Mondays off or yeah. something, mm-hmm. which is how she managed to get the tickets because you know <laughs> there were only you know just an arm as opposed to an arm and a leg. Right, so. Right. Um, and she said, you know what, really, her brother had seen it with Lin-Manuel Miranda. And the conversation was something like, not everybody can be really good at everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and he's very good. Yeah, well, and sure. he's an amazing writer-creator. But in terms of performer-singer, you, you know, yeah. the other guy was blew the doors off so yeah 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 so he so he was great and oh my gosh george washington phenomenal singer Mm. just a phenomenal singer and he ended up probably getting the biggest applause for now a song that i cannot remember what it was but i mean it was like there was so much applause and that kind of subsided a little and then it swelled up again like people (laughs) were just like wait a minute we need to applaud that again so right you know so there is um really no spoken dialogue um and so it just and and then of course after the opening number everyone claps uh, you know vivaciously and long and i thought oh my gosh are we going to applaud after every song but some of the more (laughs) we're going to be here forever (laughs) i know some of the more mellow songs uh there was we just let the play continue and um, I mean, the sister who plays, the actress who plays the sister, uh, Angelica, amazing right. singer, great stage presence. She had a really cool haircut, like part of her head is shaved and she has, her hair is dyed this kind of funky blonde color and she's African-American. And um, so I do have to say the actress who played Eliza, sh- her singing was not what I had hoped it would be. Mm. And on the soundtrack, definitely some of Eliza's songs, particularly the final song, is the one that affects me typically the most. And so right. I, I had specifically brought a packet of tissues just for that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and that ended up not being the song that made me cry. Um, oh. The song See, about... The- oh, go ahead. I was going to say Washington's farewell. See, that was the um, that was the one that got the, oh, the that got the two rounds of applause every time. Yes. Oh my gosh. So the one that was very moving. It didn't make me maybe a few tears shed, but the one that really got me was um the unimaginable, which is not the name of the yes. song, but oh my gosh, after right, you know, when most, they're walking in the park. Oh yeah, yeah. if you, when you see him walking in the park, you know, and it's quiet uptown and. Oh, mm-hmm. and, um, but still, I mean, okay, so everybody, I hope, knows the story. So I'm not, I'm not even going to apologize for spoilers. But, you know, so here are the family, you know, that Hamilton not only had cheated on his wife, but had made it very public. And right. so, and then Philip dies in a duel, so an unnecessary death. So Eliza is just reeling from all of this. And yet still he goes off and has the duel that takes his life. Right. It's like, right. come on, Hamilton. Didn't you see how well, upset she was after Philip? Yes. Um, so, But again, not everybody can be good at everything, you know? <laughs> and just because you're very smart at a lot of things doesn't mean you're very smart at everything. <laughs> so, 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 I mean, a couple high notes. Um, the lighting for it is just mm-hmm. mind-blowing. It just comes from every direction. It has a certain quality, a certain clarity and whiteness to it that is just dazzling without being harsh. And then the dancing for the yeah. the extras, you know, or extra. I mean, they and the, so they are men and women, um, and they uh, are all dressed in kind of gender neutral. Um, 
kind of ivory colored um breeches like soldier breeches and then a kind of a vest to show off you know they all have these amazing physiques and just well the lighting plus the dance plus their bodies it's just mind-blowing and so um so the big numbers the numbers you know that are very impressive on the soundtrack they become so much more impressive because of the dancing and the lighting and the uh, the crescendo of the music and um, and also the thing that really struck me is on the soundtrack, there's, you know, a lot of, um, I know there's a term for it in music and I don't know what it is when you bring back kind of themes, a, a reprise, something, or well, a so, right. Exa- a motif. So that when, you yeah. know, when, when, um, you know, um, Eliza talks about helpless or when he right. talks about his shot and a couple other things and, you know, they, they, you sort of get it, or at least I sort of get it when I listen to the soundtrack, but on stage, it really makes, it's yeah. like, oh, that's very powerful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah. yeah. So, um, so I mean, you and a lot. can't beat live theater. Yeah. Yeah. You and, really can't. and some of the asides, you know, um, you know, when they ask, you know, say to Jefferson, you know, where were you? And he says, France. And uh, I don't know, that's just a lot of the jokes hit a lot harder than they do when you can see it. And mm-hmm. um, and it was nice because the delivery wasn't exactly right. Um, I do have to say the opening number didn't blow me away as much as it does on the soundtrack. And so, um, but it picked up from there. And then, I mean, by the second half, it wasn't so much like I was watching it, but it was like I was part of it. Yeah. Like I really lost. So oftentimes when you see a play or a movie, you're, or at least I am, I'm very cognizant of watching it. And mm-hmm. this, I was really just completely transported into it and and it was kind of a not a not a huge theater and everyone was you could tell everyone was so excited to be there and so there was just this energy that just I felt like bonded us all together yep and it was it was um it was really very powerful and and and, when theater works it's pretty amazing yeah, yeah yeah and so um and like you know when I had taken Phoebe to see Taylor Swift which was an enormous enormous concert outdoor venue you know like amazing lights and production and everything but Phoebe was in kind of her too cool for school mode right <laughs> so I didn't get the sense that she was blown away and from the moment the moment it started I could tell that she was like oh this is really happening and I'm here and this is a big deal and so right. she was very effusively clapping and she, I had, um, I thought being from Connecticut and having to go on to my fair share of Broadway shows, I thought everyone would be dressed up. I'm like, it's San Francisco, right? Oh no, people were not dressed <laughs> up for it. But so I had told her, make sure you dress up, pack something nice to wear right. to the play, like total Connecticut mom. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and so she wore- And bring your little headband right, to hold your hair back. Right, and, so, yeah. so, yeah. She, so and she- And your boat shoes. Right, yeah. so she wore a, a dress and um but i i didn't even like i didn't know what the weather was gonna be like i mean i was wearing black jeans but i was wearing really cute dance go boots but um anyway so um but she definitely the the momentousness of the evening certainly seemed right. to make an impact on her so it was it was and gosh i mean we had beautiful weather in san francisco took a 10 mile run on friday that included going back and Woo. forth across the bridge the golden gate bridge um and i just want to do that once Oh, it's just, it's so, it just, I mean, it's so beautiful. It's, you know, I lived there for eight years and 
I'm just like, why did I not run across the bridge every day? <laughs> um, and uh, and on Sunday, I took a run through Golden Gate Park and uh, out along Ocean, um, the road that runs parallel to Ocean Beach, which is the Pacific Ocean. And um, and then the another huge thrill of my weekend was that I got to go out with the team that I used to row with, uh, Marin Rowing Association. And they row on the bay, and um, if people know Marin, there's this Mount Tamalpais, which is kind of this magical peak over there. And so when you're going out one way um, on the rowing out, you, you're just staring at Mount Tamalpais. And mm-hmm. I, um, I just, at one point, I thought, I am truly not sure I'm awake. This might be a dream. It's so, <laughs> it's so what I want. And um, right. I, I got some blisters on my hands and, and I didn't right. screw up. And we got up to a 31 and a half stroke rate, which was like crazy hard. Is that good? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, okay. that's, like, that's like race pace for some races. And um, but it was so okay. funny because the coach, it wasn't their normal coach. And um, so I don't think he knew that I was, you know, someone who hadn't been in a boat in eight years. Um, and so, <laughs> um, since, so, um, so anyway, so he said, oh, we're going to do some pieces and uh, we're going to, you know, there'll be a minute 45. And I thought, just make them two minutes. Like, come on. And all I got to tell you, by like a minute 30 into them, I was just holding on for <laughs> dear life. It's just like, just keep up with these people. Like, you can do this. Yes. And um so it was, um, it was just thrilling. And um, Kate, my friend who I was staying with, she was in the other boat. So she, and she looked over a couple times and later she said, Oh, you looked really good out there, Bowen. So, um, so I was really, it was just a thrill. So, um, Great. yeah, so that, so that was, um, gosh, we didn't get back until from the play until almost 1130. We had to get picked up for carpool to rowing at 610. Of course, it, it took me like 90 minutes to fall asleep because I was so keyed up from the excitement. Right. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, honestly, yeah. it was perhaps the most exciting 24 hours of my life that I can remember i mean since the birth of my that's children great. probably yeah. Well, yeah. yeah 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 so yeah and that's uh, exhausting in a different way yeah <laughs> right, right 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 yeah so um so yeah i promptly took a 90 minute nap when we got back from rowing <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> got back into my jammies put on fleece coat and got into bed um yep. so it was it was just wonderful and we had for the most part just had stunning weather and um i mean san francisco in sunshine is just a, a, a magical place there's nothing else nothing else I can use to describe it. It's just, I think it's uh, the smell of it, the air, the quality of light there. Um, got to see a um, early Monet exhibit and then, oh, saw, wow. yeah. And then the next day saw a Matisse um, Richard uh, Diebenkorn exhibit. And I did not know who Diebenkorn was before. Yeah, I got nothing. This weekend. Yeah. Yep. So, um, so he was uh, um, born here in Portland, Oregon, and then largely grew up or, and spent most of his life in California. And he was this artist, um, very much inspired by Matisse. And so to see the two work side by side was, it was, it was perfect. Cause I just made me realize what I love about San Francisco. It's a perfect blend of culture and the outdoors and I feel mm-hmm. my three days there really summed that up and so um so I feel very fortunate Good. to be able to have done that so yeah anyway yeah so um Hamilton go see it everyone go see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so well on today's show we're going to be talking about strength training with Michelle Olson PhD who has been known to dub herself the exercise doctor Michelle is a professor of exercise science at Auburn University and a noted expert in many type of, types of exercise, including kettlebells, Pilates, and core work. She's on the advisory board of Shape Magazine. And in my previous life as a health and fitness writer, I interviewed Michelle numerous times, and I worked with her on a gear review for the New York Times back in the day. 
Adrian and I will have a strong conversation uh. with, oh, with, Dr., <laughs> with Dr. Michelle Olson after this brief break. Welcome, Michelle. It's great to talk to you again. Hi, Sarah. It's nice to be in touch. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your athletic background? Uh, I know that you teach fitness classes and you've done quite a few sports. Oh, gosh. I grew up with three brothers. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> yes. And uh, in a small town. And uh, we were always active outside until it was dark, playing, you know, baseball, softball, flag football. Uh, but I did get very interested in gymnastics at a young age. And um, took that quite seriously. Uh, went to a gymnastic school for a couple of years. Wow. And then later on, my, my interest really did change. I got very much into tennis, and I ended up playing tennis um, at the college level. And when I was doing that and studying physical education, I had a growing interest in the sports science classes, kinesiology, exercise physiology, and I got, you know, really excited about the whole strength and conditioning aspect, which at that time for tennis was not something tennis players, you know, it would avail themselves of. So, right. it, you know, all of that kind of, you know, just led to this more, you know, an increased interest in fitness and the science of fitness, uh, because the more I did that, the more it helped me with my with my tennis. So it, it all really kind of came together for me in college. Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice. So, and then what type of um, activities are you doing these days? I do a lot of things. I still play tennis quite a bit. Uh, I play with uh, competitive players who are 10, 15 years younger than I am. I can't say that I can keep up with all of them, but uh, <laughs> once you've done something you know how it is with running or something where you've been competitive and you've made a little bit of a mark. Um, it's just really hard for me to do it recreationally. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I still do play and I do all kinds of strength and conditioning. Um, I'm a, uh, an, an NSCA certified strength and conditioning specialist. So I do metabolic training. I use kettlebells. I do resistance training. I do HIIT, um, Pilates, gyrotonics. I'm always into and what? studying and doing something. What's gyrotonics? <laughs> That's one I don't know. Right, right. Well, yeah, gyrotonics. A, a lot of uh, Pilates aficionados uh, it tend to evolve into gyrotonics. And it, it's not that easy to explain, but the term gyro, think of a, uh, a gyroscope spinning away. Right. It's all about learning how to spiral your spine, um, have more mobility in your joints, more range of motion. And um, you, you, you work in a lot of ranges of motion at, um, at one time and a lot of planes of motion. So it's probably something we are going to hear you know, more about. It took Pilates a long time to really catch on. Um, you know, once you know, people started practicing it, um, you know, across the United States. So I like to be on the front end of things. And um, so that's just kind of typical for me now to be doing this thing called um, gyrotonics. And it is okay. definitely helping me with my mobility. Oh, nice, nice. So my dad always told me to let my avocation be my vocation, a principle you seem to live by, Michelle. Tell us about how your professional life is infused from all directions by your obvious love of fitness. 
You you are right, and your father is right. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and are you doing what your father had suggested? <laughs> and uh, I feel so fortunate that that's been the case for me. Um, as I was discussing earlier in college, I got very interested in fitness as well as loving sports and the scientific aspect. So I was fortunate to be encouraged by professors who told me you should go to graduate school you like writing you like studying you you know have a aptitude for research probably and so I did I got my master's degree and had the ability to go into a laboratory and do that you know metabolic cart testing to determine calories expended for different kinds of activities mm-hmm. um, I really like to have the ability to go into a lab and take something like Pilates that says in 10 sessions, your body will be changed hmm. and test that and see if there's any weight to that. Um, so, you know, I ended up then going to doctoral school and getting my Ph.D. in um, research physiology. And so you're, so you're right, Sarah. I mean, I exercise. I've kept up exercise through the years. I like to try new things. I'm in the college setting with young, you know, with young people as my students. Um, I love to write. I love to research. So... I just I feel very very fortunate um, to have the encouragement that I had. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so, have you been working on any interesting research recently, or have you come across any new studies that you think might apply to mother runners? Well, we, a lot of people have been studying HIT and core training, and we use these terms so often they almost have become meaningless, or they mean everything and 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 anything. Right. Um, you know, so uh, I do think that the things that I study um, def- translate to sport, translate to running. Um, if we if we take hit training for example, and and tell um, me, when you tell, say tell yeah, people tell what people is that hit training? yeah what that stands yeah, for please yeah so so yeah hit training see it's again so overused it's like it means nothing anymore or, or it's supposed to mean every kind of workout that exists which is not true. HIT is an acronym, H-I-T-T, High Intensity uh, Interval Training, or H-I-I-T, High Intensity <laughs> Interval Training. Mm-hmm. And um, a, lot, a lot of people do some kind of interval training. You know, they may jog a little bit and then stop and skip rope and then go to a rowing machine. Um, so they're doing, doing different activities, but that's really more circuit training, mm-hmm. which is a great way to train. HIT training, especially if you are a competitive athlete, a weekend warrior, you know, you're running, you're training for events such as, you know, half marathons, et cetera. It's an activity that has to be done at at least 90 to 95% of one's max heart wow. rate. Wow. Mm-hmm. And if it's done in that fashion – then all of these amazing results that hit, you know, hit the news, you know, science or researchers in Colorado have found that, you know, 12 minutes of hit three times a week, you know, uh, elicits better performance outcomes than, you know, an hour running at 75% of your VO2 max. Mm. So I think that's one thing that's really important um, to clear up since I study hit. You do get these benefits if you actually are training at that intensity level. Right. So, 
you know, it, I mean, that requires then, and a lot of runners, I, you know, no, no, do this, we do this, and then you, you um, kind of find where you don't necessarily need to use a, a monitor all the time, and what I'm talking about is a heart rate monitor, but you would, mm-hmm. you know, to really do this correctly, you would need to know what your actual max heart rate is mm-hmm. and not use a formula, um, which you can get from a fast sprint time. You can do that a few times, get your max heart rate, and then you can calculate, you know, 90% of that, 90 to 95% of that, and then um, do sprints or do different kinds of activities, um, jumps, things like that, that at do elevate your heart rate and your metabolic rate to at least 90%. That kind of HIIT training definitely improves performance. It helps people to lose that deep abdominal visceral fat that's really hard to lose. Um, it you know, improves running economy. And then what I've been interested in studying, um, you asked me specifically, is I do look at the after-exercise um, metabolic calorie burning. Mm. And when you do do HIIT training, you do get it elevated post-exercise um, afterburn that can last beyond 30 minutes. Hmm. But if you're doing moderate intensity exercise, which is great, we want everybody to be active doing something. I mean, even walking 10 minutes a day is awesome. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing more moderate intensity exercise, that's great. We want you to keep that up. But if you expect or if the media is kind of misguiding us, which we know can happen sometimes, telling us, oh, you're going to get this big afterburn, you don't for moderate intensity exercise. Mm-hmm. You don't. And that's where I think the difference between that and actual HIIT training um, translates into if you're, you know, performing, running, doing tennis, even though you're not in college anymore, if you undertake it in the uh, authentic way or make sure your heart rate's where it should be, you will really get some benefits. But, but right. the price is, or, is that you actually know what you're doing specifically and have the heart rate correct. But to but to get your heart rate that high, I mean that's a what I would deem a pretty unpleasant workout. <laughs> I mean it's it's very intense. It's very challenging. And, and right? that's that's exactly right. And I think that's what individuals need to understand. Um, if you're not getting the outcomes and performance benefits that you expect, are you really doing hit training? And do you, do you know what that means? Do you know how it feels? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, where do you strike the balance between that and what's, you know, what's right for you? Now, HIIT training, though, uh, if you're doing it properly, you're, you're going to only last for anywhere from 10 to 20 seconds maximum before mm-hmm. it's time to take a recovery bout. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, in a way, we find that people, knowing that that recovery bout's coming up, mm-hmm. um, really report greater exercise satisfaction, believe it or not. Huh. Hmm. Huh. Yeah, I mean, I buy, I buy that, yeah. Because, hmm. I mean, 10 seconds of something really, truly unpleasant, when you know that it's going to end in 10 seconds, well, yeah, that'd be satisfying. <laughs> well, yes, and that's exactly what I found. I did, I've done some psychological uh, measures, or measures of mood, and um, with HIT training, individuals report 
afterwards. You, you give you give a little test beforehand of like right. a person's state anxiety level. You know, we all have a normal level of anxiety. Doesn't mean it's high. We just have a normal level of anxiety. Our moods are a certain way. And then uh, right after doing the interval bout, uh, you you give the same assessment, and there's a reduction in anxiety there's an improved mood state and probably this has to do with the fact that really intense exercise is what also raises your endorphin levels right and i suspect so you're also are... just you're just too exhausted at that point to really oh, so... be anxious about much, much oh, see, I, think, I think you're so i think you'd be so dang proud you know you're like yeah i'm so badass that you know your mood would be improved by that so yeah, there's uh, there's a lot that goes into it. I think the sense of accomplishment, mm-hmm. um, and that you know, ten to twelve minutes of something is doable. Mm-hmm. Um, you do get these recovery breaks. They seem to go by fast, but you still get recovery breaks inserted between, you know, hitting it really hard, mm-hmm. and um, it, you the the those chemicals, those feel good chemicals, mm-hmm. um, are definitely much more elevated following hit training. Um, than they are, you know, doing doing some other kinds of activities. Hmm. So I, it, it is. It's interesting. People re- actually report greater exercise satisfaction. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. You're, you're selling me on it, Michelle. I don't know. <laughs> I, I have to go out well, for another it, run it, today. I, I hope so. I hope so because it's not personal on my part. This is what my own science has shown me. Mm-hmm. And so where, you know, science leads me, then that's what I share with people. Right. You know, take out any opinions, you know, this is what it really is, this is what it takes, then this is what you can expect. Yeah. And, you know, just, just to try to share accurately, um, you know, what it is that I find and, yep. and report it. And I love doing it, so I tend to report anything I find with enthusiasm. Oh, good, 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 good. <laughs> we love enthusiasm. Um, so so I wanted to make sure that we would cover the topics that mother runners want to know about. So posted on our Facebook page asking for questions and about strength training, letting them know that we were having an expert mm-hmm. on. And the recurring theme was lack of time and not knowing the right exercises to do. So we're going to go through a bunch of questions from gals on our Facebook page. So let's start with a question from um, Yana that basically encompasses both um, of the major top concerns. She asks, what are the top one or two moves for runners who are low on time but sincerely want to try to add some strength training? Um, in short, she says, what's the biggest bang for your buck when you have a limited time budget? Okay. Well, there's been um, some really nice, well-done studies and a very current meta-analysis, which means that's taking a, several studies regarding different types of resistance training with regard to running. And um, it, it doesn't have to be complicated, and mm. it, it can be time-saving. Um, in general, uh, one would want to use uh, moderate training intensities, meaning a moderate amount of weight, a moderate mm. weight load, like you would not rack up 200 pounds on a squat bar. Okay. You know, mo- <laughs> good, good. Okay. You know, good. I'll stop doing mo- that. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mo- you know, moderate, moderate level. Um, that's going to mean probably that you could do about 18 to 20 repetitions before mm. you feel your muscles saying, I'm, I'm reaching fatigue. I'm mm-hmm. reaching quote unquote failure. Mm-hmm. And, um, and in these studies where runners have uh, improved their running economy, 
Um, it's all been positive uh, using those intensities. They do anywhere between simply two to four exercises. Mm, okay. So, so that could be, and then and then we want to load the right muscles. And so these are these are uh, for the lower body once again. So this could mean lunges. Mm-hmm. It can mean step ups. Mm-hmm. On, a, mm-hmm. on a weight training bench, that's mm-hmm. two. Okay. And doing, right. you know, doing four or five sets of those with moderate resistance, mm-hmm. it's not going to take you much time. It's going to take you, you know, less than 15 minutes. So in your, um, two to four, you could, and then you could add a squat to that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a uh, um, a leg, you know, a leg press. So one, two, three, two to four lower body exercises done at moderate intensity. Again, where you know, at about 18 to 20 reps is when you should start feeling the need to, you know, take a break before repeating your next set. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Um, so Stacy wanted to know, what are the must-do moves for those of us runners who have poor glute activation and weak hips? Or, and this seemed to be very popular, people kept kind of adding to it. Or, as Erica asked, best strength moves for a strong butt and happy hips, to which Lauren immediately added... How do you know when your glutes aren't fully activating? And which I am adding to, how do you know when you have a dead butt? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Those are all really great questions. And and the great thing, too, is that um, the answers I'm going to provide are uh, the answers that, that everybody could benefit from doing these types of exercises, but particularly runners. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you know? Yeah, how do you know if you're not firing your glutes properly? How do you know? Um, Well, there's a simple thing you can do, seriously, Um, and physical therapists will do this, but you don't have to be a physical therapist to do it. You can, you know, do it with yourself. Just lay down on the floor face up Mm -hmm. and lift. Let's just say lift your right leg up, keeping your knees straight. And um, being able to lift it up and hold it for five seconds. And, and if you're ha- not lift it, really lift it, active, lift, yeah, sorry, okay. lift it, lift it how far off the ground? Just lift it off, off about four to six inches. Okay. Okay. Um, you would be surprised how how many uh, people, and I've seen this in my own husband, um, <laughs> struggle struggle with that. Mm-hmm. Struck because they're not they're they're not activating the glutes, so they can't really get the leg to lift mm-hmm. off of the ground. Um, that's one way to see: are you trying to are you trying to lift with your hamstrings instead mm-hmm. of engaging your you know your big gluteus maximus muscle, which mm-hmm. which people do under engage, and this is why these are great questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and a way to fix that is is to is stay in that face-down position and then imagine if somebody is yanking on your leg, pulling you across the floor. Mm. So you're going to grow that leg really long, mm-hmm. that feeling of somebody yanking on it, and then the leg will naturally come up and that'll be all gluteal activation. So I do this, I teach this a lot. So that's a great way to get started and that's a great exercise in and of itself. To okay. And, you, and again, that's that's being face down on the floor. Uh-huh. You're laying okay. face down. Okay. okay. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and I got to say that right after this podcast is over, I'm going to try that down I, here on my exactly. basement floor. Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. Uh, and go on, Michelle. Okay. So that, yeah, that's a great way to familiarize you with the feeling of, you know, what, 
what does it feel like to really just isolate and activate your glutes. Mm-hmm. And then, and then we know, um, you know, with with running or with tennis, different different sports, cycling, etc. We definitely want to activate our glutes, um, the big glute muscle that we were talking about. And then we have two other gluteal muscles that wrap around the outside of the hip. And those tend to be underused as well. Mm-hmm. And this is why a lot of people have knee injuries. Mm-hmm. And, knee, and knee pain can be common um, with running. And again, this is just not my opinion, though I'm going to throw it out here kind of flippantly. This, this is very legitimate and well-documented. Show me somebody with knee pain who is otherwise fit, at a good body weight, healthy, does do running, does work out. And I bet you I will show you somebody who has weak outer gluteal muscles. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Your gluteal muscles, your, your large gluteus maximus, and then the two gluteal muscles that wrap on the sides of your hip, they're there not only to move you, they are there to take most of the load, most of mm-hmm. your body weight, both moving your body and absorbing the impact from pavement. Mm-hmm. And if that's not happening, guess what joint gets the brunt of it? Mm-hmm. Your knees. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your knees. So, and most, and I'm more familiar with studies on women, um, but most studies on women and women athletes who have knee pain, when they go about testing their hip strength, their gluteus medius minimus, and the gluteus maximus strength for their body size, those muscles are weak. Mm-hmm. So then, okay, what exercises? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really love lunges Mm -hmm. because it is truly like a one leg squat. So your weaker leg, and we all have a weaker leg, will have to pull its weight. Let's say you're right leg dominant. Well, when you then do lunges with your left leg forward, meaning, you know, you're working your left hip, Mm -hmm. um, your right leg's not there to help you as it is with a regular squat. Mm-hmm. So I'm a lunge fan, mm-hmm. a lunge fan, but I'm anti-forward walking lunges because oh. in my life I've seen one person do them correctly. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I really honestly have. Most people take too narrow of a stance. Their knee starts to shoot over their shoelaces, and there we get knee pain. Right. So you don't, you don't have to, and, and this is time-saving anyway, um, stationary lunge is a nice, Nice long stance where you're going straight up and down. Mm-hmm. You don't, you know, don't have to walk them. Um, are one of my key moves. Um, it's really hard to mess up the technique on that, so most people can do those correctly. So lunges, lunges not only work your gluteus maximus, but because you've got one leg in front and one leg in back, where you're a little less stable, they also get those outer two gluteal muscles that are really important to protect your knees uh, and, so, and to help you balance. So Michelle, so then, uh, sh- so let's say again, I'm, let's say my left leg's in front and my right leg's behind me. So I don't even have to step out into it each time. I can just stay in that same position and just yes. go up and down. Yes. Okay. You've got it. Gotcha. Exactly. Gotcha, exactly. Gotcha. And then okay. a great one to add to that, that I mentioned before is, um, step ups mm-hmm. on, um, like a weight room bench. So, mm-hmm. I just have individuals put one foot up there. Let's mm-hmm. just say it's your left foot, and they leave it up there. They okay. keep the foot on there, and then they come up, 
tap the bench with their right toe mm-hmm. and go straight back down. Okay. Just up, down. And a nice key, and it's not a trick, it's an actual, it's a good tip, is you want to feel like you're digging your heel in on those lunges and on step-ups. The more you dig your heel in, the more you get those outer hip muscles to work and you, you minimize to a certain degree the amount that your quads want to take over. So mm. dig your heels in, lunge, and do step-ups. Okay. Okay. And also, if you, a physical therapist I once had taught me a trick where you can also use, if you have an old step from step aerobics, oh, you yeah. can use that instead of a weight bench if you have one kicking around your house. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just, just put some risers in there about the yep. height of a, of a um, bench, um, a weight room bench, and um, you're good to go. Absolutely. Nice, nice. So here's a good question from Karen, as many of us head into training for half marathons and beyond. She wants to know advice for balancing strength training with distance. And Karen says uh, when she's running long, her legs get so tired and she winds up wimping out of strength training. Oh, yeah. And you're going to always be most concerned with how you feel like you're performing when you're out there doing your running, and mm-hmm. you know, how you're feeling and that you're, you're keeping your mileage on track. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really easy psychologically to, you know, always be worried about what may negatively affect that yep. in the short yep. term. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you, what you really want to do is you want to have a uh, treat these inversely. And what I mean by that is when, you know, you start your training with your running and you're building the baseline with your running the resistance training that you would do, that you should do, and again, it's going to be maybe two, three, or four lower body exercises. I would suggest planking for the core mm-hmm. and a few push-ups to keep your shoulder girdle, you know, so you have good posture when you run. So we're talking maybe six exercises. Mm-hmm. But early on in your training, uh, you can spend a little more time on the resistance exercise, meaning go ahead and do more sets. Mm, You know, uh go ahead and do five or so sets. And then as your mileage is building up and you're going on those long runs, then you're going to take it down with the resistance training. So Mm. cut back on your sets. But see, you will have built your strength. So by the time your mileage goes up, Mm -hmm. your legs aren't going to be so toasted Mm-hmm. When you go in to do the resistance training that you're going to back off of anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's right. very doable. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Laura and several other gals had a follow-up to that question, which is when and what day should I strength train if my marathon plan is five to six days a week? Should I train on easy days without being too sore the next day for a long or a tempo run or after longer days or on my rest days? All great questions. Um, most of the, um, what am I trying to say, um, the, high, the higher trained runners, the ones who we, if they're not getting injured, we aspire to try to mimic <laughs> right. their protocols, you know. Um, they typically, first of all, do, do the resistance training, not a lot, just two times a week, maybe three, two to, time, mm. two to three times a week. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it, you know, it would make sense to do it on days where you've done moderate runs mm-hmm. or maybe one day following a moderate run and then one day when it is a rest day. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, right, after, if you've done a really long-distance workout, 
there's no there's no, there's no point to just feeling like you're trashing your body. Mm-hmm. And if you know you've got a tempo run coming up, probably not best to do it right before that. Mm-hmm. So you, you could, you could take one, if you have a rest day, that'd be a great day to do it. Use one rest day mm-hmm. and then one day where you do follow some running, like a moderate workout, um, so that you get that experience of, you know, coming in off the road and making your body do just a little bit more than it wants to get, you know, to get the ideal overload. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so Laura also had an intriguing question. She says, what kinds of gains are we talking about? Faster recovery, quicker times, less soreness further down the road. Um, she confesses that she thinks about strength training, but never does it, especially during a marathon training cycle. And I know you had talked about running economy as being a benefit, but so could you kind of talk about like, what's the, what's the carrot, um, behind strength training for runners? I think the main thing is the running economy. Mm -hmm. Um, and what that, you know, what that means, Sarah, and I know you know what it means, but, um, for others, you know, because there's, there's efficiency and then there's economy Mm -hmm. and, you know, you can read one thing thinking you're reading about running economy and it's really not that it's efficiency and it's different. So I want to be really clear. The benefit is running economy. Mm -hmm. And what that means is, is let's say, Sarah, that you and I have the same exact VO2 max, Mm -hmm. same exact cardiovascular fitness level. Mm -hmm. I've been doing my running specific, distance runner specific in, um, uh, resistance training, strength mm-hmm. training, and you have not. Mm-hmm. What that means is, and what they find in, with the runners and in these research studies, is that then for a particular pace, mm-hmm. I am going to use less oxygen. Mm-hmm. And you will, for that same pace, continue to probably use, or you will use, the amount you typically use for that speed. So economy, it's like your car. When you get your car tuned up and the tire pressure right, you know, Uh for the same one gallon, your car might, if it's doing resistance training, might be able to go, (laughs) you know, 30 miles on one gallon, Uh whereas the same matched car that didn't do its resistance training, like didn't get the tires at the right pressure, Uh you know, might only be able to go... 20 miles uh-huh. because the greater economy if it's if you're burning less calories and using less oxygen at the same speed then that's going to translate to being able to either run faster for longer uh-huh. well that's what it's going to translate into right. being uh-huh. able to run faster and therefore your times will improve and you would in turn be able to run longer uh-huh. that's okay. the that's the main thing now the other thing is we've talked about this the hip girdle strength uh-huh. um Okay, your hips are part of your core, mm-hmm. and then doing planks to strengthen the abdominal part of the core. Mm-hmm. There are, there's research studies that do show that you do improve on your times mm-hmm. as well. Hmm. And not just the economy gets better, and we can measure that in the lab, but when you go out and then have people run at their PR, their PRs improve. Their time right. goes down, which we know is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Right. It feels like everything's part of your core. <laughs> I mean, it's like, Every, you know, maybe not your is. pinky toe. Maybe that's yeah. not part of your yeah. core. But like everything else, they're like, oh, yeah, that's part of your core. <laughs> really? <laughs> um, 
Yeah, That's you're. Um, let's see. Yeah, you're. Well, but you know, it used to be that we were. You know, everybody was confused, thinking that your abdominal muscles, of which you have four main, well, you only have four, but you have these four abdominal muscles, um, were the core. Mm-hmm. And then you would get the physical therapists and people like me and the exercise physiologists saying, well, those are the abdominal muscles. Now, they're part of the core, but they're not the core. I mean, if, you do, if you're doing squats, you're working your core. Really? I thought I had to do crunches to work my core. <laughs> um, so it's really those muscles that are at, close to the axis of your body, meaning close to your belly button. So the hip muscles, the gluteal muscles we talked about, mm-hmm. certainly your ab muscles, mm-hmm. your back muscles, and the muscles that control your shoulder blades. Mm. So if you just kind of think of, you know, like if you were a doll and you had all these parts, mm-hmm. um, that part from about from your shoulder blades to right below your hips, that is the core and the axis of your body. And all of those muscles are um, designed to take the brunt of what we do. So the stronger they are, the better off those legs and arms are going to move around, the more efficient they're going to be, whether it's, Cycling, running, swimming, whatever it is we like to do competitively or not competitively. We're going to be better at it. And we are going to recover faster because we're going to be more efficient. Um, Less injuries to the more peripheral parts of us. Again, our knees, our ankles. Mm -hmm. So the core core is the key. It is very important (laughs) for everybody, for runners too. So time constraints definitely seem to be weighing on mother runners' minds. Natasha admits that she has a hard time fitting it all in and asks if she should perhaps cut every run short by 10 minutes and do 10 minutes of strength training each day. I think that that is a solution, especially if she has not been engaging in any strength training Mm -hmm. because there needs to be the right balance. If the strength training were not going to help the running, then of course the answer would be, we don't know if it helps. Some runners think thinks that it, you know, that it may it might help them. So just stick to the running. Um, and again, then a balance can also be struck between um, when you're building up your mileage, um, and you know you're not running great distances. That then you have, you would need to understand that you should allow and can have a little extra time. Put that into the resistance training. As you get closer to the event, then the resistance training is going to taper. Right. You're going to do more of maintenance, like doing the moves, but just using your body weight. So you could just mm-hmm. be standing there in the kitchen and do them. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, 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 you can find the time. You can if you, if you understand when to do most of what and when to back off of this and that. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's doable. And, and we wouldn't have all these mothers running if... Um, you know, we couldn't find good ways to um, economize on, to use the word economize, to economize <laughs> on time. But right. it is a serious question that is the number one reason most people don't exercise at all. They can't find the time. And mm-hmm. you guys know that, right, you can't find it. So you mm-hmm. just have to say, I deserve this. Yep. And, you make, and you make the time. And that is okay. And that is a good thing to do. Amen, Michelle. Right. I, 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 we always say that you don't find the time, you make the time. 
So right. I, I love that. You are on board the mother runner train. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I'm going to admit that at various points in my running life, I've been in the same camp as Marie who asked or who wrote, uh, she said, I am such a slacker when it comes to strength training. I would much rather run five days a week than try and wrap my brain about where to get started. But she does know it's necessary. So she wants to know if classes like body pump are sufficient or if she needs to, you know, really be doing different types of exercises or get in the weight room? Well, since um, the, the, the training intensities are like meaning the heaviness of the weight used and all of that mm-hmm. um, in most of the research tends to be at more moderate levels. Mm-hmm. If somebody enjoys going to a body pump sculpt class mm-hmm. where, you know, you're, you're getting your ab work, you're getting some lunges, you're getting some push-ups, then um, I'm all for that. Mm -hmm. I am all for that. Mm -hmm. A little of something and enjoyable, um, right, it doesn't have to be like perfectly logged in on your phone and exactly this number of reps with exactly Mm -hmm. this amount of weight. Um, Some people love all that. They they love logging this in and they want to be in the gym, you know, with the iron and with the trainer. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think body pump classes, though, because we, you know, we do use moderate intensities mm-hmm. and, and high, what we call higher volume, higher reps, mm-hmm. um, is something that, yeah, to get in there with a group and get that motivation from the group, go, yeah, go, go for it. Then don't stress about, you know, having to get in, into the gym and you're all by yourself and you're mm-hmm. like, oh, I cannot, oh, this is boring. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I think body, body pump and those kinds of workouts are, they fall reasonably well enough within what we know works mm-hmm. to be worthwhile doing good 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 right um so we did have a question from somebody who does love strength training uh and loves getting in there just throwing weight around um she explains that her issues are not always overdoing it and not getting stuck in fads such as one-legged squats squat lunge jumps or even weighted moves that end up being really high impact um, she wants to know how to do quality leg work without it becoming a high-intensity interval workout, the the HIIT workouts that you talked about. She points mm-hmm. out that runners usually don't need the extra impact. Right. Runners don't particularly need that extra impact. Um, that said, uh, many of these studies where resistance training is employed, such as lunges and things we've talked about, mm-hmm. um, a lot of um, the study participants will um, do short sprints mm-hmm. on softer surfaces instead of jumps because it's, jumps are not about just jumping per se. What they do is they develop power. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, football players do jumps on those big, huge platforms and it's not because they're going to go be a high jumper. Mm-hmm. It's because it develops power in the legs for sprinting and, and having your gait work very quickly. Um, if, yeah, if that's too much impact, then um, short sprints on softer surfaces. Uh, a lot of my friends like to use treadmills uh, sometimes because of the cushioning. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you do get the... And we'll do their, you know, they'll be going along jogging and then hit the incline button and for 10 seconds just try to sprint up that hill, straddle the, the treadmill. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are all other ways to develop power. Mm-hmm. As far as the resistance training, yeah, don't lunge jump. I mean, lunge, um, you know, do step ups, do some squats, 
really focus on activating those gluteal muscles. And um, for power, you can you can do you can do the other things. You can do bike sprints. You can again short sprints out on a soft surface. Mm-hmm. Something to help you uh, develop power. Mm-hmm. 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 Okay. So, um, well, my personal question is: Does strength training protocol need to change as you get older? Yes, mm-hmm. it does need it does it needs to uh, change as you get older. Um, it's a good idea to, whether you're run, this would work for running or if you're not a runner, um, it's a really good idea to make sure you're doing, um, resistance exercises that will appropriately load your spine. Mm. And what I mean by that is that it's pretty easy to load, to load the hips. Mm. I mean, walking even stimulates the hips pretty well. So doing, Doing lunges, step-ups, squats, things like that are going to load the hips well. But it's harder to load the spine. So usually with the spine, that's when you might, Sarah, need to take the weight bar, just the weight bar, and actually put it on your shoulders and do some squats Mm -hmm. instead Hmm. of holding the weights down to the side. Um, Yes. Yes, or take your dumbbells, like if they're soft dumbbells, you know, they have the neoprene uh-huh. around them, uh-huh. and you've got like uh, a set of 10, mm-hmm. put, your, put your dumbbells up on your shoulders oh, to okay. do your lunges, and you'll, you'll, you'll see it'll feel more intense because the, the load's going all the way through your spine and along your hips, so you will probably end up doing less reps. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe adjust the weight up to 12 pounds, mm-hmm. um, less reps, a little heavier load, and, and where you load the body becomes and what's more the, important. And why, what is the rationale behind that? It helps to, to get the, um, the force running through your spine if you put the weights around the level of your neck. And wh- why do I want the load on my spine? When it's not, it's, the spine just doesn't get that much of a challenge. Oh. That's where you might need to do plyometrics if you don't put your weights up mm. above and around the level of your neck. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just harder to get the right amount of loading on the spine to get it to stay stimulated, to form new bone, and be strong. Oh, okay. So that's a, that's a key thing as we age. And I, I do this in my classes now, you know, depending on my age groups. I'll say we're putting our weights on our shoulders today because... That weight then is going to load clear through the spine. If we hold them down by the sides, that's just going to load the hips. Your spine's not going to have to do too much but stay upright. But when the, when the load's up above the spine, you can feel your spine having to work harder. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I hope that's making sense. Yeah, and so like our spine degenerates as we age? Is that the... Yes. That the so we're yes. trying to counteract that? Yes. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. Right. And so, so also, so like yesterday, I, um, I now do a, um, strength, I do a bar class one day a week and a strength training class, uh, one other day of the week. And so that we were doing lunges and step ups. And now I feel like, Ooh, those are, those are good for me. So that, um, <laughs> but that we were particularly, um, we were holding the weight kind of slightly above chest height, um, Mm-hmm. But, you know, in, in, in our hand in front, like, so like a 20 pound, I was holding a 20 pound dumbbell mm-hmm. in front. Is that going to be loading my spine or did it, would I really have needed to like have it be, like you said, on my shoulders or? No, if you've got it up around your chest, that's mm-hmm. great. Okay. Um, 
take some of those moves there and just hold that weight straight up above your head and do them. Oh, oh, oh. All right. <laughs> Getting a little tired thinking about that one. Yeah, <laughs> right? But, you know, that, that's, another, that's another great, we don't have to change your equipment. You don't, it's just where you position the weight. Uh-huh. Um, the higher you get it, the more loading you're going to get along your spine, and you're still going to load your hips just as much. Okay. But the higher you hold it, you'll, you'll just, you can just feel how much more mm-hmm. activation there is running through your spine. And those muscles are pulling on your spine to keep it stable and straight. And that, in turn, is what gets the spine to say, okay, I need to lay down more calcium. Okay. I need to lay down more calcium. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, I'm next, next Monday, I'm going to think of you, Michelle, and I'm going to hold that weight over my head. Um, <laughs> um, you'll, you'll, you'll quote unquote enjoy it. <laughs> right, right, yeah, you yeah. like to be challenged. It'll be a new challenge for you. I'm not going to wear just like a hard hat or something just in case. Right, right. You'll get one that has a lot of weight in it. That's yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, thank you so much for explaining stuff to us and uh, cluing us in. I think this is going to be um, really payoff in spades for the people who are listening if they implement what you've suggested. So, thank you, Michelle. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. Alrighty, take care. Bye bye. Uh huh. You too. Alrighty, bye bye. All right, Adrian. So, so admit, are you were you inspired? Are you gonna now start up in your strength training a little bit? I am. I already do a little bit, so uh-huh. I, it's nice to hear that I'm doing the right thing. That's kind of nice too. Well, and also that you know it doesn't have to be a whole lot. I mean, no, you know, no. I I think I can I can you know do some lunges out there on my sidewalk and and you know some step ups. I I think I can manage that. Right, and hold my weight above my head. Right, right. I know now we're all, it's going to be like how you spot a mother runner (laughs) of a certain age. (laughs) All right, Adrian. well, let's head on over to hear what Dimity's up to in the Train Like a Mother Club. Hello, hello, everybody. Dimity here with your Train Like a Mother Club corner. I can't believe we are rounding the corner into May already. This is just, hi, hi, year. You could slow down a little bit. Uh, I'm feeling like the year is almost halfway over, but that's kind of like thinking about mile 11 of a half marathon when you're only at mile six. So, so we'll stay here at the end of May and we'll head over to the triathlon group um, for a little laugh. Um, this is Rachel wondering, she says, um, I'm having a sports bra issue. Apparently my boobs, aka skin tags with nipples, are continuing to shrink, but my rib cage is not. So I end up with extra fabric in the center, which causes repeat chafing. It looks like somebody cut a slit across my chest and it burns like hell. Any good recommendations for bras? My last fitting for a real bra, which I wear about twice a year, was a 34B. Um, And uh, there are some recommendations underneath Lululemon, C9, I'm getting measured again. But I just, (laughs) the part that cracked me up with this was the skin tags with nipples as a description of somebody's chest, which uh, if you are a mother and especially a mother who has nursed, that might resonate quite a bit. Um, If you have any recommendations, maybe, uh, you know, tweet at at us either at the Mother Runner or at Dimity on the Run with... uh, Hashtag bra wreck, and uh, and I will pass it along to Rachel. So, um, so the triathlon program is in full swing. We've got about seventy athletes in there, which is amazing. And then um, wanted to just remind you quickly that marathon training, even though it is only April, uh, it starts. It start. It's time to start thinking about marathons in September and October. Um, that training the. It's 18 weeks for the traditional plans, which is go and crush the distance, and it's 20 weeks for the heart rate plans, which are incredible, outstanding, and super outstanding. So 
Um, check out the dates on the Train Like a Mother Club site if you've got 26.2 on your mind for this fall. And um, we will see you next week. Have a great week. So, all right, Adrian, you like the little fairy dust music, as Alex calls it? Because, <laughs> you know, because Dimity's such a little sprite of a, of a mother yes. runner. Yes, she's so tiny. So tiny. <laughs> she's my pocket Dimity. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, well, I, I speak for Dimity and I when I say that uh, we'd love if you would sign up for the Another Mother Runner newsletter. Our daily newsletter lands in your inbox Monday through Friday, and it's our daily blog post. Everything from your biweekly column, Adrian. To, uh, to our hump day giveaways. Our monthly newsletter includes big discounts from our marketing partners like Noon, Goo, and Trigger Point, as well as notifications from about sales in the Mother Runner store and other here at first news. To sign up, go to anothermotherrunner.com. If it's your first time to our site on the device you're using, you'll get a pop-up asking you to join our mailing list. So you just enter in your, I think it's your first name, your last name, and your email address. And thank you in advance for doing that. Our podcast is a member of the ACAST Network, and our show today was produced in Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward from Sounds Like Pictures. Many happy miles and many happy reps. Happy miles.